welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Hi, friends. How you doing? Thank you. Uh, my name is Dan. I am the pastor over at Awaken East, so we uh, have been hanging out here a couple times this summer, and so we're hanging out with you uh, here this morning. A couple just quick things before we dive, dive in. Um, I realized something this morning that I don't know if will always be true about me, if it's just true right now about me, if it's true sometimes, I don't know. But, right, you ever, like, I, I want to be clever or thoughtful or very precise with my words. Friends, I'm a bull in a china shop. I'm not kidding, all right? Um, <laughs> it's, it. I, you know, I wish it was different. I wish I was like Rob Bill, Rob Bell. See, even right there, can't even say the guy's name right. Or, or Micah, like, like zoom. And it's just not me. I like knock things over. Uh, I'm an actual physical klutz. So, I will be a bull in a china shop this morning. I may say things that um, just buckle up because we're going some places. Um, so that's first. The second. This is a Sunday morning that if I were. Uh, Micah, I wouldn't want a guest preacher, because it's been kind of a hot weekend, right? This is a weird time to have somebody who's not, like, here, the pastor, will pick up the pieces next week and the next week from what this bowl in the china shop might do this morning. Um, And so uh, I just want to, like, recognize that out loud. I want to say that out loud. Um, felt, Felt worth mentioning. The last thing before we jump in is I'm operating on about three hours of sleep, two hours. I went to bed at about, I think I fell asleep about three, and I got up about five, and I just couldn't shut off last night. Um, right, not, not like prepping, like, oh, I waited till the 11th hour. Like, just, I didn't know what, what do you do today? Because in some ways, it's like, well, it's a day like any other day. You do the same thing you, you know, do every day, which is true. But also, it's now different. And I saw some things that disturbed me. And I wasn't awake till 3 a.m. on my knees praying. I was awake till 3 a.m. trying to figure out how do I pray? How do I live? So, if that's how you come in here this morning... You're welcome. You're not the only person who, uh, who walks into um, this space that way. And so um, we're in a series called Lost in Translation, which is all about how we read Scripture. What do we do about Scripture, especially the tricky parts? And um, we've got a, a, a tricky piece of Scripture this morning that we'll use sort of as a, a, a bouncing, a stepping stone into um, kind of bridging what the, the text is talking about and what is happening around us. And I want to invite you, if you're able, um, to stand up as we read scripture. Uh, Now, if you hang out with me a lot, you're going to be tired of me saying this. I'm sorry that you're tired of me saying this, but it bears repeating. We don't stand because we're in an old Catholic church, and that's what they did, so that's what we do, right? It's not just some thing that we do. We also don't stand up because with our heads closer to heaven, we have a better way of connecting with what God says. We're going to, you know, like the chances, if that worked, that'd be great, because I think we all need help hearing Right? We stand because the posture we want to have in our hearts, in our lives, when we come to Scripture, when we come to God's Word, when we come, is to be people who are ready to walk in it, who are ready to act 
on what it is we hear God's Spirit say to us. So that's why we stand, a posture of readiness. Uh, And we listen this morning to uh, the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 21. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against Jerusalem and preach against the sanctuary. Prophesy against the land of Israel and say to her, This is what the Lord says, I am against you. I will draw my sword from its sheath and cut off from you both the righteous and the wicked because I'm going to cut off the righteous and the wicked. My sword will be unsheathed against everyone from south to north. Then all people will know that I, the Lord, have drawn my sword from its sheath. It will not return again. Therefore groan, son of man, groan before them with broken heart and bitter grief. And when they ask you, where, why are you groaning, you shall say, because of the news that is coming. Every heart will melt with fear, and every hand will go limp. Every spirit will become faint, and every leg will be wet with urine. It is coming. It will surely take place, declares the Sovereign Lord. Let's pray. Father, we need what the kids, uh, what we sang over the kids. We need ears to hear. We need eyes to see. We need courage to listen. To look at hard things, to think about hard things. And to trust in your goodness for us and around us. Would you remind us that when everything is said and done, and your son Jesus the Christ, You have brought the kingdom of heaven near. We love you. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. That's fun. I will unsheath my sword. It won't be put back. Your leg will be wet with urine. Uh, it's a happy, happy, happy text. Um, strangely, uh, it feels a little appropriate. And I think one of the things that just bears speaking out loud for all of us is that all of us struggle um, in, in fear, in wonder, um, wondering if God is angry, if God is wrathful, if we're in trouble, if he's going to get us, if he's after us, if the bad things in our life are because of the bad things we do. And on some just very basic level, at least for me and the people that I engage with, that's not far from the top of our mind. Jonathan Edwards had a a famous sermon that for some odd reason they thought was a good idea to to teach in high school. I don't know if you learned it in high school as descriptive writing, but sinners in the hands of an angry God. And in it, it describes God as um, one who dangles the sinner over a fire like, um, like we would a spider. Like it's, it's right and it seeps into the psyche and maybe in some way, shape, or form it's true. But the question is, are we sinners in the hand of an angry God? Or are we sinners in the hands of a loving Father? And so that's what we want to use this text to talk about. And instead of me trying to find uh, three things to teach you about God's wrath, um, I've got 
12 vignettes that I just want to use to explore to maybe unsettle us a little bit so we could think about God's anger and wrath in a, maybe a little bit different way. Uh, part of that's because I don't get it. I don't understand at some level um, a loving God um, who can either do or let uh, bad things happen. So instead of trying to act like I know what I'm talking about, we're just going to explore it. We're going to go after it and admit that we're all in process. Right? Following Jesus doesn't mean we all have the right answers. We know exactly what happens. We're not Bible answer people. Um, this is about following a person, following the Christ, the one who, who calls us out. So, um, so I've got 12 vignettes that I want to go through, and I'm going to move through quick because last service you may have noticed maybe I talked longer than I should have. I don't know. I talked longer than I should have. Uh, okay, so vignette number one, violent times, context. What's happening in this Ezekiel story? It uh, isn't all that unlike our times right now. There were wars, rumors of war, wars, rumors of rumors of wars. You had the Babylonians who are like surging, taking everything over. They're crushing the Assyrians. Somehow the Egyptians come out of the south and knock the Babylonians, one of the tooth out, and they have to go home and put an ice pack on it and get another army, and they come back. And then you've got the little teeny tiny kingdom of Israel smack dab in the middle of this going, what do we do? Right? These are like the farmers with pitchforks against the chariots. And so the context, what Ezekiel is prophesying in, is an unstable, violent moment in history. And part of this is that God had made a promise to his people that uh, if you will have fidelity, loyalty to me, then I will bless you. Good, good will happen. And if you don't, bad will happen. Well, true to word, they don't. They chase after other gods. It's a stream that Solomon starts when he marries a whole bunch of, uh, of ladies from foreign countries and to appease them because happy wife, happy life. He builds a bunch of the high places for them to do sacrifice. And the whole kingdom just goes off the rails. It takes a left-hand turn, then a right-hand turn. It's a nightmare. So this is that. Okay, this moment is sort of the fruition of Solomon's follies. So that's what's happening here. It is an angry time, and it's into this, this angry, violent time that God speaks. Um, his word comes to the prophet about unsheathing God's sword. Because it's not just the Babylonians or the Assyrians or the Egyptians who has sword. So that's one, vignette one. Vignette two, uh, consider me Miles Davis. If you get that, raise your hand. Yeah, Billy Madison. Pee in your pants is cool. We can laugh, okay? Like, it's okay. So... That's funny to me that uh, people are so scared of God that they're going to pee their pants. Maybe I'm stuck at 11, um, developmentally in some ways. But, like, that's funny. It, 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 it makes me laugh. Bladder control is, um, is complicated. Uh, <laughs> if you know my story. Anyways, so bladder control is complicated. And um, I'm just repeating what I read on the Internet. I, didn't actually, I don't actually know what I'm talking about. Um, but, but what ends up happening when you, when you pee your pants is there is a whole bunch of information that goes streaming from your limbic system, which is where fight or flight is, and all those messages that go throughout your body, they override the very complicated, nuanced thing that is bladder control, and things just go, this happens, this is, right? And, um, and so 
of course, God talks about unsheathing his sword, and that's, you know, maybe fair. Uh, uh, that's more than a fair response to it. And what's really intriguing to me about this is they don't really know why they do it. Like, right, like pretty much if you have a heartbeat and you can feel fear, uh, you can pee your pants when you get scared. Come over to my house, pet my dog. Uh, <laughs> drip, drip, right? Like, it's not a lot, but it's enough. And they don't know, like, why, why this happens if it's a, uh, a, like, well, if I go to the bathroom, then the predator chasing me can't smell me, right? Or maybe it's, like, a last-ditch effort to, like, mark territory. I read this. This is all what scientists wonder about. Or the third is really interesting. It's a sign of submission. So maybe if I submit, you won't hurt me, right? Like, if I just admit you're better than me, we're good. But when people get overwhelmed with fear, we lose control of things that are important. That's the second. The third, uh, Dawkins, Marcion, and us. Basically, we are not the first people to wonder if God is angry. Uh, Richard Dawkins, he's, uh, he's not dead. He's still alive, I believe. He says in his book, The God Delusion, I'm only going to read part of this because by the time I get to the end of it, I'm feeling horrible. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infant, etc., etc. Right? That was written in the last 10, 15, 20 years. A couple thousand years before him is a guy named Marcion who was born in about the year 80 AD. And, and he was started as sort of someone following the Jesus way. And he started to develop this bizarre notion that the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, was actually a petulant demigod who he named the Demiurge. It's a funny name. And that Jesus came to introduce us to the Heavenly Father, who is not Yahweh, but is the real God, and to show us the way. And, and the church, the people who followed the Jesus way, have said that's not accurate. And they haven't said that's not accurate just because they were like, that guy's off his rails. That's just not how Jesus talks about stuff. So if we follow Jesus, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And the idea here is we're not the first people to ever wonder if God is petulant, angry, and abusive. Is this a vindictive God? We're not the first, and we won't be the last. Generations wrestle with this. We each wrestle with it, and it's something that never, ever gets put to rest. So that's the third. The fourth and uh, four, five, and six, I've got three, uh, three what I'm calling wrath theories. Uh, the first is what I call the boomerang theory. And to explain the boomerang theory to you, I have to um, talk just a moment about um, Hebrew poetics. So in Hebrew scripture, you know you're reading poetry when you see this thing called parallelism. Or, to put it in just like really simple terms that I, would, I like, is... It's, they don't rhyme words. The Hebrews weren't into rhyming like sounds. They were into rhyming ideas. Does that make sense? Well, let's look at one. So this is from Psalm, uh, Psalm 7. Also, this talks about wrath. So this is like a two for one. It's bonus territory. So God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. 
They put them together, they're saying, righteous judge displays wrath every day. Those two things are the same. You can also contextually go, I don't know what it means uh, for, what, 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 is he, what is a righteous judge? Well, a righteous judge is one who displays wrath every day. If he does not uh, relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend his string and his bow. You see, it's the same thing, but it, not the same thing, but it's the same thing, it rhymes. Uh, he's prepared his deadly weapons, made ready his flaming arrows. And they continues, whoever is, pre- whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble, gives birth to disillusionment. Now instead of paralleling two things, we got three things in parallel, or three things rhyming. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. Their trouble, the trouble they cause, recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. And so there's micro, right? There's like very particular ideas within the lines that are rhyming or in parallel with each other. But also, bigger ideas are in parallel or are rhyming with each other, such as the first thing I have bracketed and the second thing I have bracketed. Is it saying that God's wrath is that he simply steps out of the situation and lets evil do its thing upon those who do evil? Maybe God's wrath is he no longer shows mercy, but instead withdraws, steps back. Sounds like the cross. So maybe wrath is about boomeranging. Uh, the second of the wrath theory, uh, <laughs> monolatrism, not monotheism. All right, so um, this stuff actually does, oh, whatever. Okay, so the, the Hebrews, at least up to Jesus' time, they were not monotheists. That's not what they, they didn't think there was one God and no other. That's not their worldview. Their worldview was that there was Yahweh, who was God of gods, and there were other smaller, less powerful gods underneath them. The plagues are all addressed to different deities in ancient Egypt. God of gods. And, you know, like Jesus, they called Jesus the king of kings. It wasn't that there weren't other kings in the world, but he was the king of of all of the kings. Or maybe we use a sports metaphor, which I hate sports metaphors, but this one's going to be fun because I hate sports metaphors. So imagine, if you will, close your eyes and picture the purple Minnesota Vikings facing off against the green Green Bay Packers. And it's a barn burner, friends. It's close. And imagine a future, okay, this is purely fictional, where in the last moments... The Vikings lose the game by missing a field goal. Can you imagine this? Can you see this happening? I know it's hard, okay? And what do we say when that happens? Well, we beat ourselves. We just, you know, we just, we, we just couldn't do it. We beat ourselves. Why do you say that? Because no one wants to utter the phrase, the Packers beat us. I don't really care, but there are people who care. Um, So take that and zoom back 2,000 years and replace teams 
with gods. What if part of how the, the Hebrews see this is they can't conceive Yahweh being defeated by the gods of the Babylonians or the Assyrians or the Egyptians, and so they go, if we're being defeated, we beat ourselves. It's God who did it to us. Number six. I told you I'm moving fast, all right? Point of view, all right? Wrath is all about your point of view. So we're going to do another Hebrew poetic parallel thing because it works. So this is Isaiah 61. This is the text Jesus reads in the Gospel of Luke when he basically announces that, yes, he indeed is the Christ. He steps up, he opens the scroll, and this is what he reads. And he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. Do you see how those are in parallel rhyming? To proclaim good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. Full stop. Parallel. Rhyming. The year of the Lord's favor is the same thing as the day of the vengeance of our God. They're the same thing. How is that possible? Well, if you happen to be the one who is chaining those who are in prison, what does their freedom feel like to you? It feels like wrath. If God rolls into your house and says, you're doing it wrong, and all the ways you've been doing it wrong, I'm going to set to right, You're not like, well, thank you. What a gentle, loving Lord you are to disturb my world in this way. You're experiencing as angry, wrathful God. But friends, if you're in the jail, if you have the chains on your ankles and on your hands, on your heart, that's a day of favor. That's a year of favor. It's a moment of good. Wrath. Maybe wrath is just about our point of view in the story. And as we move from seeing things our way or as the way the kingdoms of this world look at things, as we move from that to seeing things God's way, the kingdom of heaven, maybe we move from seeing wrath to seeing love. Seventh, this one is quick. This one is easy. Spells it out. God is love, not wrath. That's what it, that's what it says. The Apostle John says that God is love. We see God get angry. We see God get frustrated. We read about him taking his sword out of his sheath and people being so frightened of it that they wet themselves, they lose control. We, we see that happen, but nowhere in it does it Describe God as wrath, as anger. Wrath is just an expression of God's love that none of us really want to feel. Sort of like a parent does. All right, so it's the eighth thing, vignette, loving wrath. I got this artwork I found um, that I made that I'd like to share with you. 
That's, that's an artist's rendition of my house. Um, what's worth noticing is the two things I got right were the tree and the fence, because we have a fence that doesn't cover our whole yard, it just covers part of it. Um, okay, so that's our house. We live sort of on a hill. Our driveway feeds into a hill. And the kids being kids absolutely love to zoom down our driveway into the middle of the hill. Like, uh, there's my son Ezra on his razor. He's doing what I tell them not to do every day, multiple times a day. And there are times when I open up the door and I step out and I go, don't go in the street! And when I do those things, my kids are always like, I got in trouble. You yelled at me. Did you get in trouble? I was protecting you. Those moments feel like wrath to them because it's corrective and it's frightening. But I'd, if I didn't love my kids, I'd be like, have fun. Hope one of the crazy neighbor kids blaring their music too loud, texting, snapchatting while they're driving. Hope one of them clips you and I don't got to feed you anymore. It is love that says, stop. What's funny to me about this particular one is 90% of us, this makes complete sense to. I tell you that, I'm like, yep. That's why we tell the kids not to touch the stove or why we don't do dot, 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 right? Like, it makes complete sense. We get the logic of it, but it's not the end of the discussion for us. It's like, we go, yeah, sometimes when we're loved by the one who made us, he says, stop, and it's not because he doesn't love us, it's because he loves us. But we forget it. Bad things happen. We do bad things. We think maybe God might have saw us do it, and maybe this is payback. We just forget the simplicity of this, that you can absolutely love someone and speak in a way that's frightening. Nine, and this one connects daddy issues. Most of us have those. And if we don't have a daddy issue, we have a mommy issue. Uh, that's mostly true for most of us. Not all of us, there are exceptions to this. But right now in our culture, that is true. And so what we, we come to the table with baggage. The metaphors we use to God, uh, we use for God, are susceptible to what our personal histories are. So if your dad left when you were young, you might wonder, if God is father, is he going to leave me too? If, then, right? We bring baggage into these conversations because these metaphors that we use for God and they are metaphors because it is absolutely 100% true to describe God as father but to describe God as only father well that breaks down because God also is mother but God is also so far beyond being just father or mother or parent he's also our friend Scripture talks about him as our lover. Jesus 
is in some places talked about as our brother. Right? These metaphors are prone to us getting confused. Uh, there's a story uh, when Jesus is, uh, when he, in, in the Gospel of Luke, he teaches uh, the Lord's Prayer, and at the end of it, he says, uh, which among you would give your child a stone if they asked for bread? Or if they asked for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? And of course, everyone who's listening to Jesus is like, no, we would never do that. That would be a horrible. And Jesus says, and you're wicked. Your father in heaven is good. So if you who are wicked won't even do that, why would you expect that from the one who made you? Daddy issues didn't just start in the 80s. They've been forever. Ten, Christ interprets scripture. The word of God should help us learn how to read the word of God. The Gospel of John starts off with, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the logic, the, the, the spokenness of God. And that word was with God and was God at the beginning. And in this beautiful, long picture of creation, the Apostle John ends saying, and no one has ever seen God. But for those of us who have seen Christ, we have seen we have seen God. And he's speaking in grandiose terms because if we know the story, we know that Abraham sat down and had a meal. Jacob either wrestled with God or a messenger of God. Moses, burning bush, seeing the backside of God walk away. John's not saying none of those things happened. John is saying they saw a sliver. But in Jesus, we get to see everything about God. And that's the same guy who later describes God as love. So we want to let Christ interpret Scripture. We want to let Christ teach us how to read, how to listen, how to understand, how to practice all that's been said. Eleven. Two swords. So the, the text in Ezekiel, it specifically talks about two swords uh, being unsheathed. And I want to just... Um, I love when Scripture folds back on top of itself. Right? When you're like, oh my gosh, this is all connected. And so there's this scene uh, at the very end of Jesus' uh, life. They've just had... Why can't I find it now? All right, so they've just had um, the, 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 their last Passover meal together, and Jesus has just told um, Simon Peter that before the rooster crows that he's going to deny him three times. And then Jesus says to all those who are gathered, he says, when I sent you out without purse or bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they said. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Why would the Prince of Peace tell someone to buy a sword? It is written, and he was numbered with transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me 
is reaching its fulfillment. Then the disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, Jesus said. Okay, quick time out. Where'd the swords come from? They didn't run out to the store and buy a sword at the last Passover meal. Dudes were packing. <laughs> what? You've been following Jesus and you still have a sword? That's weird. Even more weird is Jesus saying, go get some. We need some swords. Two swords. Jesus says, that's enough. And when I read this and I read Ezekiel 21, I start to go, huh, these things smell alike. So, uh, so they get the sword, they head off to pray, the disciples fall asleep. Jesus says, seriously, couldn't you even stay awake with me? And then the crowds show up, and, uh, and, and they surround Jesus. Judas uh, kisses him on the cheek to betray him. And when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Should we unsheath our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. And Jesus answered, no more of this. And I read those words, and I read them as in that moment, but I also read them as the Christ, the Logos, the word that was there at the beginning, who knows all of Scripture, and saying, war is over. We want to let Christ interpret Scripture. The 12th, Charlottesville, Virginia. And now this is where it's going to turn into a china shop, and I'm a bull. Um, I'm angry. And I'm angry for two reasons. The first is I feel powerless to do anything, and I want to do something. And I know that me getting on Facebook and telling all the wrong people how right I am isn't going to do anything about it. That's, that's the first. I'm angry. The second is I'm afraid. And here's why I'm afraid. I wonder what my kid's place will be in this story that's unfolding. So, fair warning. I'm going to put some pictures up, and they will startle you. Um... But I feel like we need to look at them in here. We need to see these together. And, um, and so I'm going to put a couple pictures up. Uh, I'm going to quickly talk through them. Uh, and then we're going to come to the table together. So here's um, a first picture. This is, uh, so if you don't know what's happening, a quick update is this is all happening in Charlottesville, Virginia. It's a college town, and they've decided to take down um, some statues that are in town. There's a statue of Robert E. Lee that they want to take down, and the debate, uh, the question, um, is what are we doing with our history if we, if we remove these things? Are we hiding it? Are we revisioning, or revising it? Or are we simply taking away these bad things because as they are there, they are celebration. So that is like the reasonable human being conversation about what's happening is that. But it's turned into far more, right? And so what you have in this, this picture, this, 
these pictures are all startling. Um, you have um, circled around with the torches, the tiki torches. You have um, who I think is, based on behavior, fair to describe as uh, neo-Nazis. Um, and they are surrounding a group of anti-protest protesters. So the run group, um, the group with the, 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 uh, the torches, we're, we're going to protest the taking down of these things, and then another group gathered, and, and they are surrounded. And that's the statue of Thomas Jefferson. Um, that's not when they're talking about taking down, but that's what's happening in this moment. This next picture uh, is also frightening. They were, um, they were saluting. Uh, I think we all know what that is. This is not um, cinema. Uh, and they were chanting uh, blood and soil, which is, well, it's straight from the Nazis in World War II. And um, yeah. And then this last one. Now, when I look at this particular picture, uh, particular with that building, building there, I almost feel like I'm out of time. Right? I, I can't decide if this is 40 years ago or if this is 120, 30, 40 years ago. I can't believe it's today. And why don't we take that down? We can just go to black. Um, screen. Man, they look like me. They look like a lot of us. And so here's my question. What does the wrath of God look like in that moment? And what's happening right now around us? What does it look like? How does God feel about this? I know two things. I know he loves every single person in all of those pictures. Every single one. But I wonder, what does his word sound like to the people with the torches? What does his word sound like to the others? Does he still ask us to love our enemies when they're this type of enemy? I don't have any answers. I just have questions. And so with that presence of what's happening in our nation, in our culture, fresh in our visual memories, we're going to take just a moment. We're going to be still and we're going to be quiet and we're going to prepare ourselves to come to the table and remember Christ's brokenness as it meets our brokenness. So I encourage you, close your eyes, 
Uh, open your hearts, open your ears, and listen. Amen. Friends, the way forward is together as we follow and as we practice the way of Jesus wherever we find ourselves. Amen? Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.